0: Hey guys, my name is Ian and welcome back to the AZ Sports Podcast. It's been a minute, there's going to be no music today. I'm going to try to roll through this episode, try to not have as many as many cut-ups uh, as previous episodes have been. But this episode is going to be a lot of basketball talk. And I'm going to start off with the Phoenix Suns, who is the team to beat in the Western Conference right now, who look destined to go back to the NBA championship. They're a top-five offensive and defensive team uh, when it comes to their rating, and they're the only team to be top-five in both offensive and defensive rating. Booker is already blossoming into a two-way star. It's something underrated about him uh, on the defensive side that I don't think a lot of national media pundits will give him credit for, and I think that's simply because uh, the narrative from when he was a draft prospect they said he was not a good defender and it doesn't seem like he'll ever be a good defender he's been one of the better defenders in my eyes in the clutch time you see him there's a example against the Utah Jazz it was late game they're up by a couple points he has to guard Jordan Clarkson who in the fourth quarter always seemingly gets hot he guards him on the perimeter the entire time. He forces him into a turnover, dives for the ball, for the steal, and they end up getting a bucket off of that turnover. He is also in the top 10 in terms of opponent's field goal percentage on on Devin Booker. He's averaging 32 points per game in the last... Ten games or so and they're on a ten game winning streak, which is something that ESPN bleach report, they seemingly are not gonna talk about. And it's it's frustrating. This is the this is this is not only my favorite team, this is the best team, and they're not gonna give them as much spotlight as I think that they deserve. And it sucks. But Booker is a two way superstar, should be an MVP candidate as important as Chris Paul is to this team Booker is the best player on this Suns team and he should be getting some consideration and speaking of Chris Paul the dude age is like fine wine this dude is averaging around 15 points per game He's, I believe he's second or he's leading I remember at one point he was leading the league in assists per game and just simply put that duo of Chris Paul and Devin Booker When it comes to the fourth quarter, they're automatic. I was at the Sun-Spurs game on Sunday. I'm recording this on February 1st. This happened two nights ago. It felt like Booker and Chris Paul just could not miss. They were down 12, and I was with my parents. I took them to the game, and I have my mom asking, are we really going to win? We look like shit. I tell her that I'm very confident we win. What do you know? We score 36 in the fourth quarter, and it's off of the strength of Book, CP, and the surprising addition of Ish Wainwright. He's a two-way player. He's really come onto the scene for the Suns recently. In this game, he was forced to play a small ball five role like how Tory Craig did. He was pretty solid on the defensive end in terms of uh, matching up with the size of the San Antonio Spurs he also is just a bowling ball of muscle it's really hard to move him he was a former football player at Baylor but in terms of being a small ball center which is something that the Suns have lacked this season he has really shown out as that small ball five and it, it would be tough to give him a roster spot, given that we would have to make a move in terms of a trade, in terms of a buyout, and two-way players, they can't play in the playoffs. So we would have to convert him to uh, a regular featured part of the lineup. But Ish Wainwright is a name to keep an eye on. And throughout this 10-game stretch, we've a majority of those games were without DeAndre Ayton. And I've seen a lot of Twitter personalities and whatnot saying hey look at the production that Bismack Biombo and JaVale McGee and Jalen Smith have had they don't need DeAndre Ayton the thing with DeAndre Ayton I think we all understand how good he is on the defensive side of the ball I think his threat as an offensive uh, low post score uh, is 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 very missed in these last seven or so games that he's been out with a, a sprained ankle DeAndre Ayton has average 16 points per game along with 10 rebounds And he's simply the anchor of this defense. He's able to switch out onto the smaller guards which is something that our big men Bismack, JaVale, Jalen Smith, they don't really have that great of an ability to Close out and defend well on the smaller guards, and Aiton can do that. So, in that Spurs game, we saw Javale McGee get bullied in the, in the pick and roll, because he had to play drop coverage because he's not fast enough to move up to the point guard, and he's not fast enough to move back to, the, the pick and roll guy, DeAndre Aiton. His threat as one of the smarter pick-and-roll defenders And him being an offensive threat, which is something that Bionbo, JaVale McGee, Jalen Smith They're not offensive threats and a 16-point-per-game score with 10 rebounds and One and a half blocks. It's something that is underrated about him. He's very important to this team and he definitely needs more recognition in my eyes. They have, the Suns also have a lot of depth, which in terms of our backup guard play and campaign and Landry Shammit, not only are they both hurt right now, they were both relatively inefficient to start off the season. Shammit in particular has been really disappointing considering the contract that we gave him after we traded for him campaign as before he sprained his wrist was coming back to life he was shooting 45% from the field 40% from three and I think with the likes of uh Bismack Biombo and Jalen Smith I think those guys really ease off a little bit for Cameron Payne he's become a lot more of Uh, A role in the defensive game plan uh, For the opponents So I can understand why it's a little bit tougher For him to get his shot off And why he is shooting inefficient But I think Having Bismack around And I think the use I think Landry Shaman has really hurt campaign too If Landry Shaman was able to hit his shots uh, More frequently Than he has been I think that opens up uh, the floor for campaign a little bit just to start driving in a little bit more because then the defense will have to understand that he's not only a threat as a driver, but you also have to look out for uh, a kickout from campaign. And because Landry, Landry is one of those guys that you just want to kick it out to him and he'll just take the catch and shoot three. And he's done that. He's just not hitting them and that is hurting campaign to some extent which is why I do think we do need another number two guard, another offensive shot creator for this bench, and I'll get into that relatively soon but in terms of our other depth pieces Cam Johnson has really, he should be the starter of this team he's been averaging 15 points and 6 rebounds as as a starter when Jay Crowder has been out his three-point percentage has gone up this year to around 43%. And in terms of being a a stretch four, he's, he's quick on his feet, which makes him a very good, very solid defender, I'll say. It, he kind of fits that mold of Jay Crowder, where you just need them to knock down their threes you need them to play solid perimeter defense. They're both strong in their upper bodies. I think Cam Johnson's a, a little bit quicker than Crowder, but I understand why you would start Crowder over Cam Johnson right now just to have Johnson as that immediate scorer off the bench. I think Mikhail Bridges has taken another step forward in terms of being able to create his own shot. He's done a lot of these... He gets the pass off of the inbound He fakes the handoff and he goes in for the layup Sometimes if he doesn't do that He'll do the fake handoff And then he'll do a mid-range fadeaway And that's always been That's been money for him this season He's been a very good shooter As well Shooting I I would say 40% From downtown But Mikael Bridges As a 13 point per game Score he's, He's coming up as a offensive threats and he's he should be in the conversation for an all defensive team I mean he has been he didn't yet hold Curry to his worst shooting performance ever I feel like that's all that really needs to say about Mikael Bridges and I was talking about Bismack Biombo and JaVale McGee and Jalen Smith earlier it just feels like every team that Chris Paul goes on, their big men just become standout. I mean, we saw DeAndre Jordan make all NBA first team with Chris Paul as his point guard. But Beyond he's he signed to a ten day deal, scored fourteen points uh, in two games, fourteen points on average. And then he gets signed for the rest of the season, and now he's starting in place of uh, DeAndre Ayton. Earlier in the season, when we didn't have to, when we didn't have Bismack, we had Javale McGee starting, and he was, he's known as a per thirty six minutes, god. When he starts, I think it's really hard for defenders to guard him as a lob threat. And I think that's what he has been—is just a very good lob threat, a very good rim protector. He's came in and done his role uh, the exact way that Coach Monty has wanted him to perform. And you look at the likes of Jalen Smith. We we see we see him or before the season starts, gets his third option, third year option declined. So that means he'll be an unrestricted free agent after this season. When Javale was out and when DeAndre was out, he was forced to start, and that's why we brought in Biombo. But Jalen Smith is a starter. Also, averaged sixteen and ten. And the difference between uh, what separates Jalen from the other big men is that he's able to stretch it out a little bit. He can shoot the three ball. He's worked very nicely as a, a high-post worker. And just like everybody else, he's a solid rim protector. And in terms of his play, and given the other players that we have on our roster, like uh, Dario Sarch who's seemingly out for the year with a torn ACL, and given Jalen Smith's play... In recent weeks, it seems that a trade is imminent, and that's where I want to move into next is this NBA trade season, and I guess we'll just continue this with the Phoenix Suns. Dario Sarch's contract is, I believe, nine million for this year, which is not terrible, but I don't think getting a an originally non-athletic stretch five. I, you know, if you combine that with the torn ACL, it's it's looking like he won't be much of a factor for the next couple of years. But he has, we have Dario as a salary filler. I think that in any trade, if we want to upgrade our bench big time, we're going to have to include his salary. Jalen Smith, with his performance over the last couple of weeks, we could get bring back somebody. Pretty solid for those two contracts. I've seen a lot of Suns fans talk about Eric Gordon as he is on the trade block right now in Houston. He's been shooting 44% from three. He's shooting 48% from the field, averaging 15 points per game, and he's been one of the smarter defenders. I think he he may... I think he's trying to up his value, uh, play as hard as he can for Houston just so he can go to a, a contender. But in terms of every other Suns fan that I see on Twitter, Eric Gordon seems like everybody's number one target. There's this Twitter personality that I follow on on Twitter. Uh, Flex from Jersey, he's a Suns insider, and he gave out some pretty interesting names he mentioned Eric Gordon first um he connected uh Thaddeus young back to back to Phoenix not only as a a trade candidate but as a buyout candidate and that makes sense I mean Thaddeus young isn't getting any minutes in San Antonio they're not trying to drive up his value to get something something great and it's gonna be hard for teams to know his value when he doesn't play and with his trade market drying up it makes sense to buy him out and cut your ties uh, Flex from Jersey also mentioned players such as Josh Hart from New Orleans, Justin Holliday from Indiana and he mentions later on of a surprise buyout candidate which I'm not totally buying now uh, he mentioned Gordon Dragic as a as a third guard but I do think that he ends up getting traded to some other team, I I think Dallas but I don't think Drogic comes back to Phoenix after that whole fiasco with the, the three point guard scheme but at the end of the day I do think that Eric Gordon and Thad Young will become Phoenix Suns, I think James Jones went on to a Arizona sports radio show he talked about how he wants to uh, have sustained con- continuity, that he really likes the team that he has, and that he might just stand pat at this deadline. And I understand if you that he wants internal growth, but there are so many hints in that in that paragraph. Where he says, you know, if a team is open to a trade we'll certainly look at it. And I think the Suns understand that they have to go for the championship. I think they understand that Langer Shamit is not not cutting it, and considering that not him and campaign are out for an extended period of time they have to make some sort of move. and it seems that these injuries to all of these players it gives a gives everybody a chance to kind of show their worth and show can we really survive with these lineups it's better that we go through this earlier on in the season than in playoff time where we have to rely on players that we don't necessarily want to rely on and i think that they understand that they this the time is now Chris Paul's not getting any younger. I think the rest of the roster is just going to keep getting better with age and time. But you want to maximize our championship odds to the fullest. And I I think that they will end up getting Eric Gordon for some package of Dario plus Jalen Smith plus Alfred Payton plus a first-round pick. It's a lot. And There may be some fans that look at that first-round pick and think you probably don't want to trade that pick. It's a future asset. You're already trading away a different asset, uh, a different first-round pick, and it's two, three years into the future. But to sacrifice the future for the present where we have a very legitimate shot to win the championship, it makes all the sense in the world. And the Thad Young thing, I just think that he does get bought out, and I don't think any other team has a great, um, what would you say, like they don't have a great plan in place for him to play? I think that if, let's just say he went wants to go to Philadelphia, they already have Georges Yang and Firkin Korkmaz, Tobias Harris, Embiid, Drummond. For any player that gets bought out, especially with the talent of Thad Young, he's going to want to play. He's going to sign with a contender that will give him minutes. And considering that we still need that small ball five and we need a a solid backup four, it just becomes a luxury. I think that he would get minutes in Phoenix. I think he has interest in Phoenix. I think that he that young is the most likely player to become a son and Eric Gordon would just be very would just be a very nice luxury to have so you know I don't think that they go past this deadline without adding one new player to the roster and with that I could just move on to these other NBA trade predictions that I have and the main player that everybody loves talking about on Twitter, and I've, I've seemingly grown uh, very tired of this Ben Simmons whole ordeal. I'm under the opinion that they have to trade Ben Simmons at the deadline. Now, I understand the, the motto that you trade an all-star caliber player for an all-star caliber player. I like that they have been playing hardball trying to get themselves a good a good haul for Ben Simmons who has seemingly become a very underrated player just due to his performance in Atlanta. I don't think that's the player that he is. I think he does need a change of scenery and it makes sense. You know, we've seen star for star players get traded in the past. We saw Kawhi Leonard for DeMar DeRozan. At the time, we saw Kyrie Irving for Isaiah Thomas. We've seen these star-for-star players before. But I say you trade Ben Simmons right now, and you don't look back. I think for Ben Simmons, you kind of just want to do him right. I think Ben Simmons is one of the more valuable players to have in this league in terms of being a 6'10 point guard. That is one of the best defenders in this league. And I think he's one of the better finishers in the league when he does shoot it under the basket. And I just think for Ben Simmons and the Sixers, I think that breakup just needs to happen. He's not going to come back. I've I've seen that little blurb of Daryl Morey, the Sixers GM, will make a desperate attempt to have Ben Simmons come back to the team. I I think that relationship is beyond repair. I don't think he ever comes back. But I say you maximize Joel Embiid's historic season with some talented players. You have a $30 million per year all-star who's not adding anything to your roster right now. And I think we've gotten to the point where where we think, at least I think, Joel Embiid can win the Sixers a playoff series or two. And I think they have solid depth too. But I think you have a legit shot at maximizing Embiid's fantastic season so far. You really don't know... I'm a bit conservative on this topic, and I think if you don't trade a Ben Simmons and you wait until the offseason for a Harden, which has been the rumor that they're, that they're going to hold out and trade Ben Simmons, get Harden in a sign-and-trade, it's going to be hard to bank on that. I mean, it's I know that we have saw the rumor of James Harden is unhappy in brooklyn he doesn't like living there he doesn't like that Kyrie's is missing out games and whatnot i don't think there's any other place where he has a better shot than brooklyn to win a championship and if that's his goal he might just return and i understand the philly philly part of this but let's just say you do move him in the offseason given everything that we've seen in terms of joel and bead's health and the amount of missed games that he has year by year. I don't want to say he's made of broken glass because there's certainly a lot of other players that miss more games than him. But I think he does have some level of a health concern, and if he gets hurt, seriously hurt next year, and you couldn't maximize on a season where he has been... Really healthy, I think that isn't the smart thing to do. So that's where I'm at with Ben Simmons. I think they have to trade him. There, I don't think they are going to trade him at this deadline. However, I just think that that Morey is going to keep playing hardball until he gets what he wants, and that's typically what he's done in in years past. He get he always gets what he wants. And if he ends up getting James Harden out of this whole Ben Simmons fiasco, good for him. Along with that, I don't think Jeremy Grant gets traded at the deadline either. I think any team that's interested in him, I think they're all contenders. And Jeremy Grant thinks of himself very, very highly as a scorer and as a primary option on a championship contender which if I'm Phoenix, if I'm the Lakers, if you wanted to make a push, if you were the Memphis Grizzlies you have a number of players that are the primary options Chris Paul, Devin Booker, DeAndre Ayton John Morant um, and then you could throw in a mix of Desmond Bay and Dylan Brooks uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. and you know other te- teams like the Lakers that you know they have Russ, LeBron, Anthony Davis as the primary options. I think Jeremy Grant, if he gets traded to a contender, becomes l- l- like a Marcus Morris type of player. Not in the sense that they have similar playing styles, but in the sense that Marcus Morris will take whatever he can to get a bucket he did that in Boston I think he held him back as you know you have the primary options in in Tatum and Brown and at the time Kyrie and Gordon Hayward I think having a guy that just wants to get his own buckets and stalls the offense I don't think that's good for any other team and I think because he thinks of himself that highly and wants to be a primary option, you know we we don't want Jeremy Grant taking shots over Chris Paul, Booker, Ayton. We don't want Jeremy Grant taking shots over uh, AD, LeBron, Westbrook, and I don't think anybody wants to pay a glorified role player in contender's eyes a hundred plus million dollars. That's where I'm at with Jeremy Grant. I think that. The contract demands really scares off a lot of teams I think Jeremy Grant will if he gets traded my gut would tell me it's either Atlanta or Sacramento teams that are desperate to make make some sort of push and are desperate for some sort of scoring and defense he's a damn good player but I think of him as a glorified role player one of the best role players, and if he wants to get his own shots over the star players, you know, some other team can have him. And just because of that, I don't think Jeremy Grant gets traded at the deadline. Now, I have a couple more predictions in terms of uh trade packages that I think will happen. I have one bold prediction that it's bold. I'll say that. But in, in just terms of like these these trade packages that I tried coming up with it is it's been difficult because there's there's just a lack of sellers you know i even you know you would think of oklahoma city as as a seller you know they got kenrich williams they have favors and mike muscala but just given the amount of cap space that they have left over they might have to enter as a third team and say and the other team would have to say, hey, can you take on this contract? Because I know you can, and we'll give you a first-round pick along with it. And if you just look at the other teams, I think for Detroit, the one player that they're going to try to trade is Jeremy Grant. But who, uh, who's going to take Jeremy Grant? I think that's a lot harder of a conversation than a lot of people are going to think. Orlando is very tricky because we understand Terrence Ross and Gary Harris are available. But I think we all knew that they were going to try to trade them to begin with. I don't think they're necessarily surprise sellers or they're big-time sellers. Especially if it's only two players that they're looking to trade. And then you look at the likes of um, Sacramento. If you look at the likes of San Antonio... They don't have too many players that they could trade. And then a a bottom feeder like Sacramento and, and New Orleans and even the Knicks, they're going to try to make a playoff push. And I think the Kings are the most likely team to be selling off a lot of their players, but I think they're selling their players in order to make a playoff push. And I think that's... Easier said than done. But the lack of sellers, with the lack of sellers, I think we're going to see a lot of lateral moves in terms of like contenders trading with contenders, is what I'm trying to say. So I think for my first predictions, I think Indiana makes two trades, and those being a Miles Turner trade and a Karis Levert trade. I felt that a Karis Levert trade to Cleveland was always imminent for me. I think that at the at the deadline, I think Levert will be there as a as a another shot creator for for Cleveland. I don't think I think Rondo's a good backup point guard and I think Darius Garland is pretty damn good. But if you look at the likes of Isaac Okoro and uh Chetty Osman there's not a whole lot of offensive creation from either of those players. I think they get their buckets off of either catch and shoot, three pointers. You know that's what Shetty has been, and he he's been damn good this season. But Isaac Okoro is is mainly a defender. I think he's still raw on the offensive end in terms of uh, jump shot consistencies. But if you could get yourself. Karis Levert with that Ricky Rubio contract that they have. I think it'll cost a little bit more. See, packages are very tough to to come up with because one side is going to get a lot more than the other. So the projected trade that I have, and you could make up your own package if you'd like, I put in Lavert to Cleveland for Rubio plus Dylan Windler plus a future first-round pick plus a future second-round pick. You get, I think, Lavert fits right into Cleveland as that shot creator for them. In terms of Indiana, you, you're trading that expiring contract for that expiring contract and Ricky Rubio, you're going to get some money off the books for next year. I think you give Winler a shot. He was a former first round pick who is known as a very good shooter coming out of I wanna say Boise State. I'm Idaho State. I, I may be wrong on that. I'm gonna fact check that very quickly. I think he was ooh, <laughs> not what I thought from Belmont. But he was a good shooter coming out of that draft class. And just given that they don't have a whole lot of talent outside of Sabonis and Brogdon and Warren, and a lot of those players are, they're out right now. You may as well give Windler a shot, and if you and if he's not that good, you cut off your ties. But you get yourself a future first-round pick and then an, another second-round pick. You mainly trade Levert for assets for draft capital. I think a package like this is reasonable to some degree. I think... In terms of players and player production for this season, it's going to be a lot harder. But I don't think that you're going to get uh, multiple first-round picks for Karis Lavert. I don't think that's ever going to happen. But Lavert to Cleveland for this package, I feel that it's reasonable. But again, all these trade packages are subjective. And if you have a better trade, you, you'll let me know. Now, the second... Pace's trade I said was Miles Turner. I think with him it's going to be a lot harder to trade for him and I think that's it makes sense. He I mean he's out with a a foot injury. It's a lot harder for uh teams to gauge whether he is going to be available when the team needs him for playoff time. I think it's going to be a lot harder to move off that contract for this season. And I think if they don't trade him this this trade deadline, they'll absolutely look at the off season and look at their potential packages for Demonis Sabonis and for Miles Turner, maybe even the likes of Malcolm Brogdon if they if they would have liked. And I think the obvious center needy team is Charlotte. I think with this injury and I think he was going to go to dallas before his foot injury became a legitimate issue but miles turner um and his foot injury makes it a lot easier for charlotte to make a move and personally i don't think that a package of mason plumley plus pj washington plus a first round pick is going to get it done for the likes of miles turner I put in this trade package of Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb for Gordon Hayward. I think if Indiana wants to retool and enhance their roster, I think you get yourself a better better wing player, better creator than Caris LeVert and TJ Warren. I think they get somebody that is a very solid scorer in terms of three point shooting and and mid range shot creation. This is a guy that Indiana has been interested in for for what feels like forever. I mean, Gordon Hayward almost went to Indiana in his side and trade and that would have sent Miles Turner to Boston. I think that a trade, a Miles Turner for Gordon Hayward swap is, it makes sense for both sides. I think Indiana just wants to enhance their roster and they get a a damn good player in Gordon Hayward who's quietly averaging a nice 19 points per game with Charlotte. And in Charlotte's case, you're able to move, move off of Gordon Hayward's 30 million. You get yourself the center that they have been coveting for what feels like forever and I think the addition of Miles Turner and Jeremy Lamb, I think it adds good defense, I think it adds good three-point shooting I think that slides Kelly Oubre as the starter in that Charlotte Hornets lineup so potentially Charlotte is boasting a team that includes LaMelo and Terry Rozier as the backcourt then Ubre, then Bridges, then Miles Turner, and then off the bench you still have Ish Smith, James Booknight, Jeremy Lamb. You still have P.J. Washington and and Mason Plumlee. So if you wanted to get yourself another guard, you're able to with those two contracts. I think Charlotte, just given that's there they're in the playoff mix i think they're comfortably at the sixth seed i think if they want to not only just make the playoffs and just be there for that first round and if they want to make a push towards i wouldn't say the finals but if they wanted to win a playoff series or two i think they're going to need a lot better defense and a lot better big man play and i think miles turner is that guy that will help out charlotte and i think charlotte notices that that, um, the lack of a good center is hurting them. And I think they'll, they'll pounce on a move for a guy like Miles Turner. And if it means that they have to give up Gordon Hayward, give up 30 million and you get two solid players, I think they'll do it. Now for my last prediction, it's, it's my bold prediction. I saw the rumor. I've thought about it before the rumor. And once I saw it, um. I must just start running with it, and that's C.J. McCollum to New Orleans. So the package that I came up with, again, make up your own package if you don't like mine. C.J. McCollum plus Yusuf Nurkic plus maybe a draft pick. For Valentunis, Josh Hart plus Tomas Satoransky and more draft capital. See, a lot of teams, and I do myself, view c j McCollum as a bit of a negative asset just simply because of his thirty million dollar per year contract i think he's i think he's good enough to make more than twenty million but I don't think he's good enough to make more i don't think he's good enough to make the max and given that he hasn't been healthy the last two years and given the emergence of Anthony Simons and how Portland wants to get below the tax, uh, below the tax line, and try to make the roster a little bit better. I think CJ will be out the door, and with that, I saw the rumor saying that New Orleans has interest in a CJ and Zion pairing, which is so weird. Saying a CJ McCollum pairing with Zion Williamson because, whatever. But that then they would boast a lineup in this projected trade of Devontae Graham, CJ McCollum, Ingram, Zion, and probably Yusuf Nurkic. I think Yusuf Nurkic is just the throw-in, just to get rid of as much uh, expiring contracts as they can. And New Orleans, they just get to see what kind of center he looks like as, uh, as he's next to Zion Williamson probably wouldn't be the greatest fit, but he's an expiring contract. And if you want to cut your ties after the season, you can do that. I think New Orleans has been trying to get rid of Josh Hart for quite some time. It took a long time for Josh Hart to sign a contract last offseason, I think it was his demands. I think they gave him a contract that New Orleans did not want to pay him, which was, what, three years, $39 million. And I think that New Orleans is willing to Throw out Valenchus in order to grab themselves a a better a better guard because Nikhil Alexander Walker has been very very inconsistent to say the least, and outside of Devontae Graham and Alexander Walker, there isn't a whole lot of guard play available. Kyra Lewis is out for the year. Garrett Temple is fine, but he's he's a bench guy. So I think this is a trade for New Orleans that I think they'll try to push for the playoffs this for this season and for, and beyond. I think the Yusuf Nurkic experiment, whether it works out or not, I think it's a good experiment to try out. I think the Valanchunas part of this deal is going to be a lot harder for New Orleans to swallow just simply because he's a good, he's a damn good center. When he's on, he is on. And I think Josh Hart, it's not going to hurt them. And I think Sadoransky, he isn't expiring. You just add him in as that salary filler. I guess we'll see what Portland does with him. And then a little bit more draft capital. I think it makes sense for for New Orleans. If you're Portland, again, you're trying to get below the tax line. You're, you understand that Anthony Simons is playing his best basketball and has probably been better than CJ McCollum this entire year and given that he's a restricted free agent after this season you kind of just want to see if he's good enough for as a, a one-two pairing of him and Lillard this is a trade that gets rid of a lot of cap space you get yourself a better center in, in Valanciunas. Who I believe he has two years remaining on his, on his contract. He's a solid floor spacer. He's also really strong to the point where he's. It almost seems like he's unguardable in terms of a lot of the centers in this league as a low post scorer. I think his defense isn't the greatest. Which, if you want to improve your defense, you know he's kind of not the guy to. To help you out in that department But if you Wanted more scoring on From the big man side of things I think Portland Gets themselves a really good player for that Now Sadaransky, you can do whatever you want with him He's an expiring He'll be gone after the season And Josh Hart I think is a very interesting piece I think In terms of Wing defense And And the ability to stretch the floor. I think Josh Hart has an underrated aspect of that or has that underrated aspect that I don't think a lot of fans have been taking notice of. So this is just a way of saying, this is the long way of saying that Portland needs to cut their ties. They need to get below the tax line. They have to enhance their roster. They have to get better on all faucets, And CJ McCollum, he's a fan favorite. Yusuf Nurkic, he's a fan favorite. They've been on this team for, I would say, five years, six years. But this is a move that is necessary in order to keep Damian Lillard happy, in order to see what pieces will fit around Damian Lillard. And... I guess we're just going to have to see with that. I mean, that's my bold prediction. I think that'll be the best player uh, at this deadline to be traded. And just given everything in terms of the lack of sellers and there's going to be a whole lot of of buyers, this is going to be an exciting deadline. We're just going to have to wait and see. Okay, so I lied. This is not... I ended up having to cut it off because I had to go to class. But I still have a couple more topics in regards to some other NBA teams that I want to talk about, first being the Utah Jazz. They lost 10 out of their last 12, I believe, and it's, it's unfortunate. They made some solid signings last year in the offseason, bringing in Hassan Whiteside to be the, the bench rim protector. Uh, when Rudy Gobert is out. They brought in Rudy Gay for some more uh, scoring punch. It's just unfortunate that the signing of Rudy Gay is really not paying dividends. I think he's one of the better buckets in the league. And there's a point in the Suns game where through 18 minutes, he only attempted one shot. And that's without the likes of Conley and Mitchell and Gobert. You know, for somebody that's known as a bucket and they're only able to give him one shot, it's like, why did you sign him in the first place? It felt like they didn't even really need a, another bucket off of the bench. I mean, you have Jordan Clarkson and and Joe Ingles. You got a loaded squad. And I don't think Rudy Gay was necessary especially when they have a glaring hole at not only the backup point guard position but at the in they needed a different type of player at the 4. They needed a they needed a defender and a shooter. A 3 and D wing off the bench and they they're not getting that with Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay is a good offensive player but they didn't need that and at the end of games Utah is just not staying together there was at a there was a point where Donovan Mitchell took five of the last seven shots in the last 2 minutes of the game 2 3 minutes of the game not against the Suns i forgot which team but he has this hero ball in him at the end of games that's that's not just not working i think donovan mitchell hasn't been able to close out games and quite frankly series at any point in the season and in the playoffs when we look at donovan mitchell he has a good surrounding cast that is able to get buckets if you see, when it comes to the last shot of the game, they don't go to Donovan Mitchell. They go to Boyan Bogdanovich, who is a much better shooter, especially in, in crunch time. And given that Utah has a clear designated shooter in hands for when they need to win the game, and Donovan Mitchell has taken over, and trying to do things himself it's not it's not the worst thing in the world. I mean Donovan Mitchell is one of the star players in one of the better star players in this league, but you kind of have to fall back into the system as well. You kind of have to give up some things in order for the team to be better and that's that's why Utah is a step behind these teams such as Phoenix, Golden State, Memphis. You know, there's no trust. He's not instilling any trust in any of his teammates, and that rubs off the wrong way. And the thing that sucks, they have no room to improve. Throughout the offseason, throughout this season, they've been trying to trade away a Joe Ingles and a first-round pick, maybe even another another player like Jared Butler or uh, Yudoka Azubuike to try to get themselves a, a 3 and D wing again. Now he tore his ACL. They were not getting any offers for that package regardless, and now he tore his ACL, and he's on an expiring contract. They're just going to have to stash him, and it it sucks for Utah that they're one tradable asset that they're, they're willing to part. He's not going to play any part in... Any games and any trade package, and it's and it's unfortunate. I think Utah really has to look at themselves in the mirror and think, how much longer are we gonna have to keep this core together? How much longer before Donovan Mitchell requests a trade, which that's been a that's been a rumor that Mitchell wants to leave. He's a too big of a name for for Utah. We're just going to have to see what happens the rest of the season, but in the last two weeks or so, this is, it's been ugly basketball. Even without some of their better players, it's been ugly basketball, and we're just going to have to wait and see. Now, I couldn't go this entire episode without talking about the Lakers and how crappy they've been, how shit they are. They're just, I think it's obvious that they're in serious trouble. I think they, I had two perspectives of it when I talked about the Russell Westbrook trade. There was the Suns fan in me saying that this, that I'll be patient and wait for what signings that they'll make, but I didn't think that it was going to be, be enough to beat the Suns, beat the Warriors even. And then I brought up the the NBA fan in me and the part that I truly believed that LeBron was going to level up Russell Westbrook and level up his other teammates, unlike how he did the year before. And unfortunately, that's there has been no change. There are 24 and 27. Anthony Davis has missed six weeks of the season. He's back, but now LeBron's hurt. Russell Westbrook is still ineffective for this squad and uh, like what what we're seeing in terms of their roster and the contracts that they give is is what we get there's a reason why players like Kent Bazemore and Trevor Reza and Wayne Ellington and Malik Monk and Mello were all signed to minimum contracts nobody in the league not a whole lot of teams in the league believe that they're big contributors anymore and nobody's playing at the pace that Frank Vogel wants to play at and I don't think that he's been a problem at all Uh, contrary to some Lakers fans uh, beliefs I guess I guess the NBA fan in me was wrong and the Suns fan in me was right I just want to say that Last year in the playoffs, we all expected the Lakers to go deep, and, that, and it was only because LeBron has always been known to not only carry his team, but somehow make his teammates better, better in the sense that they, they'll end up going to the championship. That didn't happen last, last season in the playoffs. They get bounced in the first round, and it's not happening again, this time with, an, with arguably a better player arguably we can debate that now but it seemed that there was no point in trying to break up a functioning lakers team that had good players as much as fans didn't want to believe it at the time kcp was a functional player same can be said for kyle kuzma and dennis schroeder even you know he had his his moment in the playoffs where it was uh that's that's bad basketball, Dennis Schroeder, but he's being played out of position there. That's my belief, at least. And the Lakers, they're they're trying to come up with some sort of trade to improve their team using Taylen Horton Tucker, Kendrick Nunn, and a first round pick. And given that Taylor Horton Tucker having a very bad season and kendrick nunn not playing this entire season the first round pick is appealing i think the next available is 2027 and that's a fairly valuable asset to have for any other team but talon horton tucker at the production that he's giving the lakers is not worth 10 million Given that Kendrick Nunn hasn't played this entire season, he becomes a negative asset. So the Lakers, if they want to get themselves like a Terrence Ross, a Jeremy Grant, they're going to... They have to make some major changes after this season. I think that's very apparent. And to simply put, you can't have these minimum guys... Uh, that are forced into minimum contracts to play major factors for your team anymore i think that's that's made apparent to the lakers and i i think that they're going to make some sort of change to their roster come next season maybe but even then like russell westbrook's contract is so hard to trade they can't really get much better anymore with those three ginormous contracts of Westbrook, A.D., LeBron. And they're not expected to make much noise for the rest of this season. So again, the Lakers are stuck in purgatory right now, and we're just going to have to see how they're able to get Russell Westbrook to adapt to his surroundings and see how the rest of the team meshes for the rest of the season. Now, there's one more topic that I do want to go into, and that's the Eastern Conference and the the race to the number one seed. It's extremely interesting. You know, the clear-cut best team on paper, in my eyes, is Brooklyn. And I think we all know why it's Brooklyn. (laughs) Unfortunately, they can't stay healthy. Durant is out. For tonight's game against Phoenix, Lamarcus Aldridge is out, and I think the fact that Kyrie is a part-time player, it's concerning. And now, the Brooklyn kind of has to think about their playoff chances in this way. Do you want to play? Do you want home court advantage? And if you were needed in a game seven, do you? Do you get home court advantage without Kyrie? Or do you not get home court advantage, and when it's time for those critical games like game seven, you're able to have Kyrie oh my my head really hurts from just thinking about that that's it's stupid that we're even having a question like that there the covid stuff is playing a big big uh role in this in this league in this season. And even then, like, Joe Harris is out. Paul Millsap is unplayable, and they're trying to get rid of him. You can only get so much out of Patty Mills, DeAndre Bembry, and Bruce Brown, and Javon Carter, even. And then we look at Milwaukee. You know, they have Brooke Lopez out as well, who is one of their major pieces. But I don't know, like, this... The team feels uninspiring, and they're not as dominant as I hoped that they would be, to be completely honest. I mean, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton have been playing fine. Nothing exceptional, like how Giannis is. And I think that's the problem. You got an exceptional player, and everybody else is playing fine. And you can't have just fine around somebody exceptional. And it's hard for them to make a move, too. And, I, you know, will they even think about making a move at the trade deadline? Probably not. Maybe in the buyout market. But Milwaukee is a very hard team to to gauge, too. I think Chicago, I think their injury bug has, as well has been uh, very impactful. Pat Williams has been out for damn near this entire season. Lonzo's out for an extended period of time. Same with Alex Caruso. And now, all of a sudden, their defense will probably start plummeting. Levine's a fine defender. DeRozan's putting more effort. Vooch is not a good defender. Derrick Jones Jr. is out. What players do they have that can keep that team afloat as a top-ten defense? I think all three of those players played a major role in having one of the best defenses in the league. And they really connected with everybody on that team in order to have good team defense. That's why DeRozan looked pretty damn good on the defensive end this entire season. You know, I'm not worried about the duo of Levine and DeRozan falling apart in in terms of scoring, but they might have to carry a heavier load given that Kobe White is inefficient. Dosunmu is he's a rookie; he'll make his mistakes. It's hard to rely on a rookie, especially when you're trying to make a push towards the championship. And who else? And Vooch is very very underwhelming. Then we look at Philly. You know, it's all about Embiid and not too much help everywhere else. you got players in Philly that I think have great skill sets to fit around Embiid. Again, everything is going to be connected back to Ben Simmons for me. I think if they trade him, they get better, especially in this season where Embiid is having – he's – He is the leading MVP candidate. Where you have an MVP candidate in your hands, you kind of need to maximize his season. You know, I like Seth Curry. I like Bible and Maxie. I think they're damn good players. I think they just need one more alpha. And Cleveland, it's... Do we really believe Cleveland is going to be the number one seed? I love their team. They're one of the most exciting stories in the NBA. I love Garland. I love Evan Mobley, who's going to be a a superstar. And Jared Allen has been nothing short of amazing. Their depth kind of concerns me. I like their players. And I love their coach, who's really keeping that team afloat but i don't think that they have the that firepower to break ahead of milwaukee, philly, even chicago, brooklyn, miami and that's the next team miami who's whose bench is a little bit hit or miss i think tyler hero he has he's had a great season i think in the case of tyler hero he'll have his moments where he'll be shooting 5 of 21 and Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo are nice. P.J. Tucker is nice as well. Duncan Robinson has been relatively disappointing from beyond the arc, where they have to be playing uh, a lot of other guys that... I don't know if they would be playing on other teams. I'm I'm talking guys like... Uh, what is his name? Gabe Vincent, who who's played well as a backup point guard. And then Max Struess, who has been the alpha shooter for that uh miami team but even max Truece, he has his inconsistencies because he doesn't have that very many nba reps same can be said for gabe vincent i think that they're going to be a damn good team come playoff time but who who knows who comes out of the east at this point there's so many teams that they have so many strengths and their strengths are to other teams like Cleveland and in Chicago, it's going to be hard to stop. But then they have these other glaring glaring holes in terms of, you know, part-time players, injuries, um, supporting cast. That makes me think that, you know, maybe they're not fit to come out of the East. So it's going to be it. Is gonna be a very fun end to the season in terms of who ends up at number one in the Eastern Conference. And with that being said, that's the end of this episode. But before I do end it, I do want to talk about this podcast for a little bit. So this podcast I started up in 2020, and I've I've been very inconsistent to say the least. And I kind of want to make this a a full-time thing, at least later on. I want to try to grow this podcast as much as I can. I'm thinking, you know, this is based off of uh, the name. It's based off of another company called Arizona Sports. So I'm thinking if I want to make money off of it, I'm going to have to do a rebrand. I'm thinking not only have this podcast out on, on Spotify, but make this something on YouTube, make this something on TikTok, just try to grow this um, podcast as much as I can. Because quite frankly, whenever I do have the chance to talk about basketball and football and Suns basketball and Cardinal football, it's a lot of fun. And I kind of want to see where I can go with this podcast. So, you know, I'll announce when i rebrand this this podcast i think there will be a couple more episodes out before i officially rename the podcast but in the meantime you know it's been fun it's been ian that's the end of this episode i'll catch y'all next time